This is the Believe in Mariners podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, a podcast for Mariners fans with Mariners insight and Mariners insiders. Brought to you by betonline.ag. This is the Believe in Mariners podcast. Everybody charging Randy Johnson out there and the fans coming out on the field. 19 long years of frustration is over. It's finally happened. A perfect game by a Seattle Mariner. It was done by the king, Felix Hernandez. I enjoy it, Seattle. Yes, indeed. Everybody exploding with their lungs here. The 3-2 pitch, swing and a drive, deep to right field, stay fair, holy smokes, he did it, off the hit air cafe, Cal Raleigh with a walk-off home run, how sweet it is, the Mariners end the 20-year drought, on a walk-off home run by Cal Raleigh, they win the ball game 2-1, and the Mariners are going to the playoffs, and That was the sound that sent the Mariners to the playoffs. What's up, everybody? This is the Believe in Mariners podcast, episode one. I am your host, Brady Farkas. Let's get a couple of logistics out of the way before we continue our celebration. This is the Believe in Mariners podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. You can find it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can follow us on Twitter by searching for Believe in Mariners. My Twitter handle is at East Coast M's Fan. At the end of the day... I'm just a guy like a lot of you, a guy who loves the Seattle Mariners, a guy who has been through the ringer, a guy who has experienced heartache and pain and heartache all over again, and on Friday night was rewarded, finally, for all of our stick-to-itness with this team and with this organization. I grew up in Seattle. I didn't live there very long. I only lived there until I was six, but my most formative years were spent in Washington, going to the Kingdom imitating Ken Griffey Jr. in the backyard, just like a lot of you. I've been on the East Coast now for 26 years. I'm 32 years old. My entire time on the East Coast, for the most part, has seen nothing but Mariners, just doldrums and awful, awful baseball. But uh, save for 2000 and 2001, it's been largely garbage ever since I got out here. So I, I guess, well, 97 too. But nonetheless, it's been pretty bad. We all know that. And Friday night was awesome. And... To stay up until 2 in the morning, East Coast time, watching post-game coverage, to see Cal Raleigh's hit, to realize that finally I was going to get to experience what so many fan bases experience. I'm not going to say it was entirely worth the wait, because I could have dealt with this happening you know, a decade earlier, but it certainly was an amazing way to cap off the last 20 years of Mariner's utility. You know, I've lived on the East Coast. I've been doing radio on the East coast radio in new England for the last six years, I have covered a lot of success, right? I saw that I've I've covered, I've been at three Patriots super bowl experiences. 
Red Sox winning the World Series in 2018. Bruins and Celtics both winning Eastern Conference championships and getting to the finals of their respective sports. I've been there for, you know, nationally televised ESPN University of Vermont conference tournament games that were championships to send the Catamounts to the NCAA tournament. So I've seen a lot of success and I have lived vicariously through my radio audience for the last six years. Friday night was special because it was finally my turn. It was finally mine. I don't get a chance to talk a lot about the Mariners on East Coast Radio, New England Radio. Nobody cares but me. That's why I started this podcast, because I wanted a chance to connect with other Mariners fans, with other Mariners insiders, with the rest of Mariners Twitter that I've been following along with for years, and now I'm excited to be a part of. We are going to have Mariner Muse on with us here, Patrick from Mariner Muse, in a little while. We'll talk about what the season means to him. Talk about those guys, because again, I've been in the Mariners Twitter sphere following it for a long time. Just this year did I discover Mariner Muse, and I think those guys are awesome. So they're funny, they're clever. So Patrick's going to be with me here when we get to the guest portion of our interview. But, uh, man, Friday night, everybody has their drought story, right? Everybody has their drought story. Whether you are a young Mariners fan that's never seen success, whether you are an older Mariners fan that hasn't seen success for a long time or somewhere in between, everybody has their drought story. And I have been carrying around this playoff drought. It's been a burden on my fandom, and it's been a burden around my neck for all 20 years. And together, we have seen just about everything you can see, right? We've seen our favorite players never experience success, whether that was Ichiro, say, for one year, Felix Hernandez, or Kyle Seeger. We've seen prospects fail, whether it be Dustin Ackley or Justin Smoke or other people we just wanted to believe were good that weren't or that couldn't handle it in the long term. We've seen big trades fail like Eric Bedard and not work out like Cliff Lee. We've seen it all, and we've been through it all together. Different managers, different tenures, different general managers. We've seen near misses, and we've seen seasons that were over before they even started. I've stayed up until 2 in the morning to see this team get one hit. I've stayed up until 2 in the morning to see this team blow a save and gone to work at 5.30 the next morning. I've spent hundreds of dollars on the MLB package, never seeing it pay off. Friday night again was the realization that that was worth it. I don't think Friday night takes back all the heartache of the last 20 years, but it certainly was the best possible way to end it. Again, I've lived vicariously through my radio audience for the last six years when it comes to team success. I get it. Up here in New England, the bare minimum is making the playoffs. The bare minimum is making the playoffs. And for us, that should be the bare minimum also. And I think that we'll get there. But Friday night, just getting there, just being in the dance, just having an opportunity to be talked about, just an opportunity to see at least two more games, that alone was special. And I'm pumped for it. So the playoffs are coming. We're going. And we're going to take this ride together. It is, again, it is the Believe in Mariners podcast. I'm Brady Farkas. And uh, let's enjoy Mariner Muse. Patrick, sitting down with me. So I could have just ranted the entire first episode about what Friday night meant to me and what the drought ending meant to me, etc. But I was like, you know what? Episode one, I really want to talk with other Mariners people. 
And uh, one of my new favorite Mariners social media accounts is at Mariner Muse. And I just discovered them this year. So as I understand it, there's multiple people behind the Mariner Muse Twitter account. But we've got one of them with us now, our guy, Patrick. Patrick, thanks for being with me, man. How are you? Yeah, of course, Brady. Happy to be here. Yeah, there's actually four of us. So it's me, Patrick, Patrick Leary, um, and my good friends from high school, uh, Travis Smith, Anthony Davis, and Charlie Spencer Davis. And we've been doing it. Um, started out as a actually like a newsletter that we would kind of mess around and write. So a bunch of us have done like, you know, made the rounds in the uh, Seattle sports blogosphere um, on a, you know, lower level. Um, I don't know if you know, Soto Mojo, um, three of us. I worked there for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. So I used to uh, run it for a summer. Um, Charlie ran it for a while. Anthony contributed and Travis has just always been a huge Mariners fan and a writer. Um, And so, yeah, we started as a newsletter. Um, All the guys kind of contributed, but, um, me and Travis kind of had the lead and that kind of got tired after a while. So we made the Twitter account right when the newsletter, you know, wound down. And, um, we have kind of last two years as the Mariners have risen, um, we've kind of, uh, had a nice little, um, rise and we really enjoy like being a part of the Mariners Twitter sphere. And so, um, yeah, it's been a, it's been an awesome ride and got culminating in what happened this past week, which was incredible. How old are you guys? So we're all uh, various stages of 29 or 30. So okay. like, I just turned 29. Travis has been uh, 29 or has been 30 for a little while. So, so I'm 32. So we're all relatively yeah. in the same in the yep. same age block. So I worked over at Soto Mojo for about a season. Did that, yep. man. We're talking like 2014, probably. So probably probably yep. right before you guys got involved. Yeah, actually, yeah. probably right after, honestly. Uh, or actually, yeah, I don't know. Charlie, did you work for? Uh, we don't guy who was running it was named Brian, and he okay. was out of Canada, and uh, okay. he sent me a Jamie Moyer Hall of Fame bobblehead, and that's cool. uh, that's my Soto Moto connection right there. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. But I, you know, I, so I wanted to start this because my day job is a radio host in New England, right? Covering the Red Sox, Patriots, Celtics, Bruins. Like I've seen a lot of winning in my professional life. For I've sure, seen almost yeah. no winning in my personal life. So it's nice to to have a little bit of success on that side of things. And I've been wanting to have this Mariners outlet for a while, and I finally decided decided to start it. I was actually going to wait until the off season, but I was like, no, after Friday night, like I got to just start it now. And uh, and kind of take this thing into the off season. Um, what I, I kind of like enjoy hearing what people's drought stories are. Like, sure, what did Friday night mean to you? Yeah. So me personally, so I moved to Seattle. Um, I grew up actually on the East Coast. Uh, we talked a little bit about our our mutual uh, New Englandness. Yeah. Um, I was in Maine for. I was born in Baltimore, but I was in Maine for until I was nine. So I moved to Seattle when I was nine um, in two thousand two. So I, you know, a couple of, you know, the other guys on the Muse have the sort of childhood uh, memories of 95, 2001, you know, all the, all the big teams in that era. I don't have any of that. Um, So I'm true. I'm a, I'm a, you know, tried and true full drought, only drought Mariners (laughs) fan. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, I got into sort of the sports blogging space, um, in when I was in high school around 2010 ish. And, um, you know, I remember Anthony who runs the account with me and I, we just did a podcast before like people even really knew what podcasting (laughs) was. 
And I just remember talking about how much I loved Casper Wells and like of all like the freaking players in the on on earth, like to Casper think. Wells grew up like 20 minutes from where I grew up. Big yeah. fan of Casper hey, Wells also. Casper Wells hit four home runs. He was half in, in four straight games. He was halfway to Griffey before Brandon Morrow hit him in the face when I was sitting behind home plate. Former um, Mariner on Mariner crime. Yeah, exactly. It was terrible. Um, God, that was a crazy game. But yeah, no. So, you know just the fan of like the least relevant sports thing with any sort of relevance you could possibly have has just been sort of the defining trait and just the willingness to sort of stick with the Mariners, even though they were completely worthless. Um, yeah. The um, even 2014, I think where they got it down to 162 um, even that experience was crazy. Cause I, I, I had never had that. So yeah, this year has been obviously it's been different. I would say, like we can get into that, but uh, it wasn't. Ha- it didn't happen how I thought it would happen. But um, yeah, it's 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 been magical since I am truly only drought Mariners fan. So I have kind of the reverse story in that I started out in Seattle. Like I was I was born on the West Coast, moved from Seattle when I was five. So we're talking about like or six. So like my very first formative memories are of going to Mariners games. I was in the Mariners kid club that Root Sports advertises, had the Franklin batting gloves, you know, the little Mariner moose stuff, walked up the spiral steps at the kingdom. And then I moved to the East Coast when I was six and I've been out here ever since. And like we're talking, you know, I've been out here so long that it's before MLB TV was around. So in 2001, sure. I'm in fourth grade and I'm going to the school library every day the next morning, sneaking four minutes on the Internet, just seeing if the Mariners won the night before. And they always were winning then. But so since then, obviously, they haven't won a lot. And like, you know, it's been it's been nuts, man. Like, you know, my story of it all. And I'm like I said, I've been on the East Coast forever. My first job in radio was working at at six AM. So I can't tell you how many times I stayed up until one thirty to watch Fernando Rodney blow a save and break my heart and then have to get up yeah. at four forty five the next morning. Yeah. Um how many prospects I wanted to work that didn't from the, the big ones like Dustin Ackley and Justin smoke to the smaller ones like Chris Snelling. Like I wanted all these guys to work. Uh, I went to a Mariners game at Yankee stadium in 09 and Chris Jack started it. And Chris Woodward was playing shortstop. Like, I mean, so I mean, we're not, we're talking like, I mean, Ronnie Cedeno was at second and, and, and Chris Woodward was at shortstop. Like, and then yeah, Ronnie Cedeno was bad, man. Oh my God. And then, like, I bought into, like, every, like, little run that they went on only to have it crushed again. So, like, this year, my biggest regret is that I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as I should have because I just was always waiting with trepidation for the the inevitable eight-game losing streak that has always come. Like, when they were 29 and 39, I was like, this is the space that I've always lived in. And I just did, I never wanted to jinx it. So, Friday night was just a huge relief for me in that. I was finally able to let it down a little bit and say, I've been guarding against being hurt so long. Friday was the chance to finally just revel in it. Yeah. I I had the same experience with that. Um, To your point about the 29 and 39, it really just came about so fast. Like um, they were basically dead in the water. I don't, I don't really know. I, I can't really put myself back in the shoes of what I thought like the next steps looked like for the team when they were 29 and 39, because there's no, I I had no belief that they were going to make it to this point, but I don't even know like what, like did I believe in the long-term project, I guess who's uh, who's to say, but yeah, I I think especially over the last two weeks, I really was, I, I guess I played myself to expect them to make it easy 
and for them <laughs> to sort of just like fall into it um, just in the best, like most majestic way possible. So I kind of, I really kind of did get beat down a little bit by it with all the bad, like the, the last weekend, last Sunday lost to oh. was one of the worst experiences I've had as a Mariners fan, like straight up. And obviously they've done nothing but kick me in the balls for 20 years. And mm-hmm. like that, that honestly, given that, I think there's two stages. So if you're a, a drought Mariners fan, you know how to sort of shut it on and off. Otherwise you can't really be a Mariners fan. So you know how, like when, when you need to sort of like, it's like, Oh, that's cool, but it doesn't matter. Cause they're not going to win. And so I'm not like as emotionally invested, but you know, this last two months I've been more sort of just you, I've thrown my entire like emotional well being at the success of the <laughs> team. And so for them to like go down this stretch and then blow a nine run lead like that, with Casillo starting that game too was just that was a next level like depressing experience and so it did turn and it turned really fast and it was almost so jarring um, when now they've won you know they're playing right now but they've won four straight now all of a sudden and they're just they've turned the corner and that celebration and the walk off the way it happened was just the most perfect capper you could possibly script. It's crazy. I almost had to, like you said, it was relief. It was, I just kind of exhaled and I just had to sort of stand there and be like, oh my God, they actually did it. Like it was celebration for sure, but it was not cocky celebration. It no. Was, it was, I'm exhausted. This has been the most arduous, impossible journey. Like, I'm so glad we're finally here and I can be done with this now. You know, what's crazy, too, is I'm going to have to get new material because out here on the East Coast, like, you know, Yankee fan complains, Red Sox fan complains. And I'm like, guys, my team hasn't made the playoffs in 20 years. Like, don't I don't want to hear it. So when Red Sox fans like, oh, man, we're going to finish in last place this year. We haven't 2018 was so long ago. I'm like. 2001 was a long time ago. I'm going to need bona fide new material now. I don't know how to exist in this Mariners success space. I don't remember what it's like to exist in a world where the Mariners are good and the Seahawks aren't. I don't remember what it's like to live in a world where I can't use this joke anymore about, hey, your team might be stinking, but it's not as bad as mine. Like, it's just yeah. a whole new reality. Yeah, I I think the honestly the crazy one, and you know you're not, you probably don't have a ton of awareness, but the Sounders, man, are about to miss the playoffs for the first time in franchise history. Which not a crazy. soccer guy, that's true. Yeah, but like that, so that's like the model Seattle franchise, right? They have they were an expansion franchise. They did everything the right way. They invested, they grew their fan base, and they've just like stood in in comparison to the Mariners in that like their arenas are obviously right across from each other. Um, they've just stood in comparison as like a model franchise versus the Mariners sucking. And it's just so crazy that they finally have had the worst year they've ever had in MLS. And then the Mariners have just like grown out of there. And obviously the Seahawks, you know, despite that absolute ridiculous uh, game with the Lions we just watched are, are pretty terrible as well. Yeah, they're not very good. So it's a different reality. And like, go figure. So I went to one Mariners game this year, right? And it was uh, it was against the Red Sox. And like, the low point of the season was the tour. Yeah, low low point of the season was twenty nine and thirty nine. Probably second low point of the season was getting swept by the Red Sox at Fenway back in May. And I was at the Sunday game where Munoz gives the walk off grand oh, yeah, slam to Francis Cordero. Cordero walk off. Oh my god! So Talk I was about at something that doesn't make sense. I was at that game, and it just was like. 
it was such the encapsulation of being the Mariners fan, right? Like I was so excited. They'd lost three in a row. So I kind of went in dejected, but I was excited. Gilbert was pitching. Julio was in the lineup. So I, I got to see both of them up close for the first time. Mariners were down. Trevor Story homered again in that series because that's what he did in that series. Adam Frazier hit one around the pre- the pesky pole. I think that's oh, the last time yes. Adam Frazier has hit a homer oh, this season. So that's um, the most ridiculous homer of the entire Mariners season. I'm pretty sure that that's either that or the um, the Luis Torrens opposite field. Now Torrens is actually swinging the bat pretty nice since he's come back, but. Um, the one before he got DFA'd uh, that he hit a home run in a game they were losing two to two to nothing, and he just hit his first home run all year after he had just won that game like a couple of days before. That those are the two most unreal homers of the year for the Mariners for sure. Aside from Friday night, what was your favorite win of the year? Uh, one, not even a question. This is, and it's probably. I mean, okay, yeah, Friday night's probably obviously the my favorite win of the year. Um, but no, uh, Castillo, uh, versus Cole 13 yeah. innings. I was there for all 13 oh. innings. That was, I, you know, like I, I go to a lot of Mariners games, but I don't think I've ever really lucked into, um, a game that you don't know is going to be good and then ends up being historic. Like I, I like was going to consider going to Felix's perfect game, but decided to do something else and like, <laughs> Like that kind of stuff's not my luck. That's Travis's department. Travis was at that game. He he gets lucky all the time. Um, but uh, yeah, so that game just an absolute um, marathon of I've never I've never seen a game like that before. I've never seen a game like that without the ghost runner in extra innings. Like a game that's just gone that back and forth without scoring, even with, without like the extra help and the fact that they have that runner in and it created two absolutely ridiculous double plays for the Mariners and the map rash play is one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Um, And then, yeah, Terenz being the most worthless player at the plate for three months and then getting the pinch hit spot there over Kyle Lewis, who we'd like come to find out in like two days was just not right and was not going to come back. Um, him getting that spot and then coming through in an O2 count <laughs> when he like, ah, oh, it's, it's one of the most, that's, that's probably the most encapsulating game. Cause it's perfect for the Mariners in that there was no offense and all crazy chaos and pitching. And then of course, the only way that they get the run it's, you can't have a scoreless game. That's that good in any other sport. Look, the 10-9 win over Texas that we just had right before, uh, you know, that was a great game. Game two of the year where Adam Frazier in Minnesota hits the, you know, two outs in the ninth. Like, they were all good wins. I'm with you. That was my favorite one of the year, too. Like, yeah. it meant more to me. I stayed up till 2 in the morning to watch it. Yeah. I hate the Yankees, man. Like, yeah. look, and, you know, this predates your fandom, but we're talking 2000, Yankees eliminate the Mariners. 2001, Yankees eliminate the Mariners. All I've done is grow up with Yankee fans around me, you know, I grew up in New York. My first radio station I worked at was a Yankees affiliate. So I had to force myself to talk about the Yankees, even though I hated them. So beating the Yankees is always special to me. You know, the Haggerty pinch hit home run in New York, right-handed, I think off Lucas Lukey, if I'm remembering correctly, that was was great. 
yeah. the night, the day after the day game, the game we're talking about where Haggerty hits the ball down the line and they ended up winning that game too. But the 13 inning game, that was my favorite win of the entire season. No doubt. Yeah. I'm, I'm like you, man. I, my new England roots push me Red Sox over Yankees. And I've just always been predisposed Red Sox over Yankees. I don't like the Red Sox as much as I used to now. Um, and they're kind of hard to like with the whole Mookie, everything since the Mookie bets trade, no offense, kind of listen kinda to my scary. radio show. You'll hear my thoughts on that. Yeah, but I'm, I hate the Yankees just like you, man. So it's been it's it, that was super gratifying. What's nuts is that I went to one of the last Mariners postseason games, two thousand, not two thousand one, two thousand. I went to Game One of the ALCS at Yankee Stadium. The Mariners actually won that game, as I recall. It was two to nothing. Might have been That's two to one. The only game they won in that series, right? They got to game six in 2000. Oh, oh in 2000. Okay, yeah, 2001, yes. they lost four to one. So it was Freddie Garcia against Denny Nagel in 2000. Wow, Denny Nagel started game one of a playoff game for the Yankees in 2000. Yes, That's in crazy. the ALCS. So A-Rod homered early for the Mariners. That made it one nothing, And then Ricky Henderson, I think, singled in Mark McLemore. Yeah. That's crazy. And that was the... I think Henderson had the hit and McLemore scored, not the other way around. But and it was, you know, it was a Kaz Sasaki special. Like he almost blew it. And the, like this was old Yankee Stadium. So like the ghosts were really out. Like I like the difference between New Yankee Stadium and old Yankee Stadium is night and day. Like old Yankee Stadium, you could feel it. Like Gerald Williams is coming to the plate and you're just fearing a three run homer. As I recall, Mike Cameron had to make an incredible play in the ninth, like just to preserve the win. It was it was nuts. And I was like 10 years old, but it was insane. Um Here's maybe a question I'm thinking of. It's not biggest villain, but when you think about the drought, who are the guys that are going to embody the drought to you most? Like when you think about the dead period of Mariners baseball, who are the names that come to mind? So, so I think I could go like either way. So like, I think Felix Hernandez just needs to be like talked about when you talk about the drought. I feel for Um, Felix and Seager. I wanted them both to be a part of this. Seager was always my guy. Seager, Seager's a great Mariner. Um, I was talking about this, and um, we don't always <laughs> share our Kyle Seager. Or I don't always share my Kyle Seager thoughts um, on Twitter because he's extremely popular, and I don't want to piss people off. Um, for me, like Kyle Seager is a great Mariner, um, but if Kyle Seager was a better player, the Mariners would have made the playoffs. Like Felix Hernandez could not have done any more to help the Mariners make the playoffs. And so for me, like Felix Hernandez, just you can't talk about anything, anybody else besides Felix in in terms of how he from 2005 to 2019. And there's some shenanigans in between there, but just was the heart and soul of the team, was the signature player and deserved so much better uh, than we gave him. So that's where I think of on sort of the, the high end is Felix for me sort of encapsulates the drought. That picture of him, um, I don't remember which year. It was after 2016 when Goody's got his arm around him with the dugout yeah, rail. They lost to Oakland at the end. 2016, yeah. yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, um, when they get eliminated in the last week, um, that's just – and he kind of knows it's his last great chance. And, and yeah, I mean, I was at Felix's last game in, in 2019. Um, I was in the – I was in Edgar's awesome. Dylan Moore made the catch like 50 mm-hmm. feet in front of me. It's one of it's it's for me like in terms of like obviously this memory being at the game on Friday night will stand will stay with me for a long time but the the Dylan Moore catch really just 
was so special. And the way he caught it where he just reaches up and like impossible, he'd not really been much of an outfielder yet either at that stage. And it's one of the most absurd defensive plays I've ever seen. And it's got to be just like provenance that he was able to like make that play. Like it was divine intervention. <laughs> one of the most insane. And then, cause if he doesn't make that play, Felix has to come out of that game with his head down with the, with like a bases clearing double just happening yeah. against and, Toronto. And as I recall, it was, it was Oakland. Oakland. Um, yeah. And so he would have had to come out, um, it wouldn't have been Toronto. Trust me. I would have known if it was a Toronto <laughs> game because those fans are crazy when they yeah. show up. Um, but no, it. Uh, he had to come out of the game either way. Like he was at a hundred pitches, but that catch, they were able to take him out of the game or they were able to keep him in the game, throw him for one batter the next inning. He got an out and then they were able to do the standing ovation. For yeah, him. it was awesome. Like that's one of the best moments for me in the history of the Mariners. And like that, I would never. So Felix definitely on the high end. Um, it, it, in terms of funny players that sort of embody the drought, um, I think Eric Burns is a really good one. Um, he spent one one month with the Mariners, um, and I was at a game where he failed to execute a sacrifice or a, a, a squeeze right in the eleventh inning, and then they lost, and he got. TFA the next day and like <laughs> rode out of the clubhouse on a bicycle, never to be seen or play in MLB again. It was so crazy. Um, that's a good one. Um, I'm trying to think in terms of bad, it's just, there's just a, a chalk load of like really bad. Um, Rob action. Johnson for me, anytime Rob Johnson was in the lineup, I knew I was going to be upset. And that was like, yeah. it had to have been three C in my mind. Rob Johnson was a Mariner every starting every night for three seasons. And it's just gutted me every time. A couple of my uh, buddies called him Rob six four three Johnson, so that's always <laughs> like stuck with me. Um, yeah, I don't know, like uh, Hector Noazy or, or like Horatio Ramirez, kind of like are the same person in my head. They're just like horrible pitchers. Um, Hector Noazy, the one they got from the Yankees. Yeah, Eric Bedard and Sean Figgins, very similar um, kind of headspace, just horrible transactions that. That's why Bill Bavese is up near the top for me in, in terms of Mariners yeah. villains. Like Yeah, I, I just he was just bad at his job, honestly. I don't I don't know if he was a bad guy or anything, but he was kind of just like a nepotism guy. I think his dad was in baseball before him. Um and he took over for Pat Gillick, who's one of the ten best executives in the history of baseball, and he um was one of the ten worst executives in the history of baseball. So yeah, I mean it just that's Tough. Jack Sorenshik, honestly, though, um, almost as bad from the perspective of that he, like, in his initial interviews, lied about, like, how he would <laughs> contrib- uh, uh, would uh, focus on sabermetrics with his... He just had, like, his assistant compile a bunch of sabermetric uh, charts that he could present in his interview and then just, like, didn't really understand what he was presenting but got the job because he talked about it and then proceeded to just basically trade for anybody who looked like they could hit 30 homers. <laughs> and it was just like, he just, he like was almost as bad as Bavese only because like he offered like a sense of he's better. Um, and he just wasn't. And DePoto, Another honestly, DePoto's got his flaws too, but he's, he's in it without a doubt has got the job done. So we've got to stay with him. 
I like Jerry, and part of it's my media background and how transparent he is. The Wheelhouse mm-hmm. Podcast, his seven ten weekly interviews, like he's so transparent and he's so honest with the media, and that's so refreshing to me. Again, I'm definitely biased because of my media background and that nobody else does that. But yep. uh, look, and he's missed on some, and all guys are going to miss on some. But he's also hit. You know, you talk about Dylan Moore, like you know, he found Dylan Moore. He knew Dylan Moore existed when I had never Paul heard. Seawald's another great feather yes. in his cap. Paul Seawald, you know. Total cast off with the Mets, and they were just like, "Throw your slider, dude." Yeah, everybody throw your slider. That's that's the the entire bullpen right now. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, Not it, all of them can throw ninety three and one hundred two though, like Munoz. So they've got to have Seawald. They got to do that with some guys. I understand. Like, I'd have to go to Baseball Reference and really look at his records because he's probably better than I give him credit for. But I loathe Bob Melvin. Like, as a period of this Mariners yeah. baseball, like you know, again, they. They probably won more games than I give them credit for with him, but like the fact that he went to Oakland and had success for so many years, and now he's with the Padres, he's going to go to the playoffs again this year. Like, I, I just remember Bob Melvin obviously never getting to the playoffs with the Mariners, so yeah, I, he's so always going to remain a black eye for me. I can look it up, but I'm my my Bob Melvin sense is that he was 04 and 05, and he was really um, kneecapped by the roster from the. 2000, 2001, 2000. Well, I guess it's more like kind of 2000 through 2003 is like a very similar core. Um, I guess 2001 is when they get each row. So maybe it's more just like 2001 through 2003 is like a very intact core. And then Brett Boone falls off a cliff in 2004, which is just like a massive and like Edgar's knees collapse and Dan Wilson can't catch anymore. And so it's just like it's it's a they really just everything they they had uh, fell off a cliff. So Bob Melvin, he's the manager from. Oh no, he's 03 and 04. I'm sorry. So yeah, okay. Rewind that. So 03, <laughs> he maintains the the winning that Lou did, and then I think they win 93 games in 03 also. So yeah. again, it's better, it's more than I can. Totally I saw screwed that they didn't make the playoffs. I saw Bob Melvin get ejected at Yankee Stadium. That's, uh, that's one of the only times I've ever seen somebody get ejected. Um, and I think I'm trying to remember who was pitching. So I used to go to Mariners Yankees almost every year. And I saw the drunkest group of Yankee fans just verbally abuse a group of Japanese tour bus goers that were there to watch mm-hmm. Ichiro. So that's a story that I tell people privately and yeah, what they were saying. It was good. absolutely horrible. That's good uh, evidence against the Yankees. I like that. Yes, more reason to hate the Yankees. Um if we're talking, you were mentioning, you know, random players from the drought era, guys that I liked. I mean, obviously, Bucky Jacobson for a stretch. There was a stretch there where he was awesome. Chris Shelton was great for a little bit. Um, Iran Boca Chica is a name I like to drop every once in a while. I had an, a, an unhealthy, obsessive like for Unieski Betancourt. And the reason being because, right. you know, MLB TV wasn't as prevalent. I didn't have it as much. So I didn't see as many Mariner games then. So I would see Betancourt make a handful of great plays. And now I've been schooled properly that he would boot, boot more routine plays. But I would see him make a handful of great plays. He also had a sick black glove with green webbing, which I thought was awesome. So I, I love Betancourt. He's like low-key, such a bad Major League Baseball player in hindsight. <laughs> like he's – he because he – so I went to college in um, Milwaukee. And then he was on the Brewers when the Brewers were still good um, right when I started college. So, but yeah, I mean, just, uh, like aged so poorly as a baseball player and just like really just kind of lost all of his skills, like very quickly. 
not it's kind of not not a good baseball player in hindsight. But yeah, the the double play twins is maybe the best Mariners commercial of all time with uh, Lopez. Him and Jose Lopez. I also am happy. I'm hoping that this you know newfound success can lead us out of the dark ages where there used to be a segment on Baseball Tonight, like back when Baseball Tonight was on nightly, and they would be like so and so former blank now good. That was always former Mariner now good. Like everybody in court, by the way, negative two point five career WAR. Just an awful baseball player. <laughs> he had to have been okay. He made a few, a handful of good plays for the Mariners. Yeah, no, I know he was. He was good for like maybe two, three years, but he was such a <laughs> terrible baseball player and such like an anomaly. Um, yeah, no, terrible baseball. Player. One of my biggest frustrations about the drought was that everybody would get good after leaving the Mariners. Like yep. Justin Smoke hits thirty homers for the Blue Jays, and you know the guys they got rid of, like Shinsu Chu, becomes a several time All Star after he leaves the Mariners and Adam Jones obviously turns out good. Like everybody was former Mariner. Now good. I'm also not going to miss the days of everybody becoming a Yankee. Like there was a stretch where every Mariner became a Royal or a Yankee. And I'm talking like, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Ichiro became a Yankee. Abanez became a Yankee. Rafael Soriano became a Yankee. Freddie Garcia became a Yankee. That's just four. I'm sure you can think of more as I'm yeah, talking well, here. A-Rod's obviously the biggest. Oh, obviously. Okay. A-Rod's five. Yeah. Tino prior to that. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, that was definitely always sort of a, that's kind of a boogeyman that's been exercised. I think the financial realities of the Yankees have kind of, they've obviously tightened their purse so they don't just poach from um, small teams anymore. But yeah, I think Felix Hernandez really sort of stemmed the tide with that. Cause that was Thank always goodness. the thing. Yankee fans would climb into the mentions all the time um, in sort of the early days of Mariners Twitter and just be like, Oh, Yankee soon or whatever. Uh, anytime Felix would do it, and Felix just he when he signed that seven year extension, and then obviously his uh, talents sort of fell off a cliff because he didn't take care of his body. But um, he just he was always a Mariner, and even though he tried to make a couple of comebacks, he'll never be anything but a Mariner, which is awesome. I hope they find a way to get him involved. I don't know that he wants to be involved. I know there's still a sour taste there, yeah, man, Seager. Seager the same, but I, I would love to see them make an appearance at the last homestand. I don't think it's going to happen. I just would love to see it. I would say it's definitely too soon for Seager. Um, I don't think there's a lot of animosity there, and I don't think it's – I don't I, – frankly, I don't think DePoto really wants Seager around the team because I don't think he appreciated his influence um, in the clubhouse, which is totally – that's a totally one-sided Seager opinion. Please don't – say like think that that's gospel like there there are yeah of course two sides to every sort but like legitimately i don't think depoto would want seager around the team because of how like the the graveman trade last year and the way that seager reacted to that um i think depoto really felt that that was a negative in his plan and he just fully this team now that he has is fully his team seager was the last guy that wasn't his player and it just fully sort of embodies like his vision. So I just, I don't think he would Felix. We tweeted that same exact thing. I would love to see Felix come through a first pitch. Um, I don't know. I just don't know what Felix's deal is. He's um, gotta be, it's gotta be tough, man, to still only be like 37 or what he is and just yeah. be so out of baseball. It's, it's, it's brutal. He's coaching I, his I, kid I in Miami, I believe right now. Is he, he's coaching. He's coaching youth baseball. Yeah. 
Um, well, at, at least, least that's what his Instagram says. I love, I love that for him. I'm glad he's in Miami and not like Bellevue anymore or whatever. <laughs> um, you, you made a point about Mariners that would get good elsewhere. Um, I think, and he was a pretty good ish Mariner. So I, so it's kind of harsh to judge him like this, but I think the career of Adrian Beltre mm-hmm. really encapsulates that more than any other, other, uh, player. Um, you know, started off kind of like as a middling player with the Dodgers, but then had one of the best years of anybody ever the year before he made the merit. He switched to the Mariners in 04 and his five years with the Mariners are the five worst years of his career since he like established himself as a player. Then he went to Boston was great for one year with the pillow contract. And then he was great with Texas. Unbelievable with Texas. I mean, he's going to be, he's probably going to be in the hall of fame. Like he's, he's, He's got like 20 years and like eight or nine all-star games or something. And 3,000 hits. Yeah, exactly. He, he's got a preposterously good career. And he was so consistent in being like a six, seven war player, except with the Mariners. It's like the five worst years of his career, which are still good by Mariners third base standards. Um, like a lot of his seasons are better than most of Kyle Seeger's seasons. But he's... It's just impossible how bad he was in the prime of his career with the Mariners and then was so much better after he left. That's just like one of those like ghosts kind of deal, like where you're just like, how the heck are you so bad? And it just is the Mariners. The Mariners make these guys bad. Let's end on a positive note. Biggest yeah. pleasant surprise of the season. Uh, okay, there's a couple. Um, I mean, Julio Rodriguez being like uh, him as the kids like to say um, is absurd. Like, you know, he's a rookie. We knew he was going to be good. He's never showed anything other than just being awesome. But for him to be a six war player, five war player, whatever he is. um, And the best player on the team is ridiculous. Um, Sam Haggerty. I'd love Sam Haggerty not existing and then basically being like a critical at least at the very least defensive, although he just comes up with big hits when you least expect it. He's an awesome player um, for, so him being like a, a legit role piece, because when you have him and Dylan Moore on your bench, Dylan Moore's, you know, Adam Frazier's Dylan Moore's going to play second in the playoffs. Adam Frazier's not going to play second in the playoffs. Um, meh. I'm not entirely sure about that. I feel pretty good about that, though. I think Dylan Moore is just – he's hitting really well right now. But having Dylan Moore and Sam Haggerty on the same team is just so incredible because they're so useful. Um, George Kirby being legit, legit, potentially a playoff starter, but maybe not, um, is huge. Um, and that's, again, one of those just – you never know what to expect from a rookie, but he's come up big. Um, I had one more good one. I'm trying to think. What do well, you? I'll take you, it. What do you think? For me, yeah, for me, it's like I said. I'm a huge Kyle Seager stand. I love Seager. Oh, part yeah. of it, part of it is because you know, like he was one of the homegrown prospects that actually hit. Like one of the guys they developed, right? Like Jeff Clement failed, and Dustin Ackley failed, and Smoke failed, and everybody failed. Seager broke through that, and I appreciated that. And I was out here, so I wasn't in the weeds enough to hear whatever everyone was hearing out there about him that might have been negative. So I love Seager. For me, the biggest surprise is that Gino Suarez has made me not miss Seager. Like, that's how good Suarez has been. 
you know, at the time we taped this, you know, 31 homers, 85 RBIs, I think. You know, he's playing good defense at third. You know, I don't know that he's necessarily better than Seager per se, but nonetheless, he's certainly not way worse. Like, he's made some great plays, and he's been very, very good. So I think, you know, it was supposed to be the Jesse Winker deal, and it turned out to be the Geno Suarez deal. And they're yeah. not, certainly not in this place without Suarez, but just the fact that he made all of Mariners fans not forget about Seager, but not pine for him to still be there, I think that's a huge feather in Geno's cap. Because Seager is beloved, and the fact that I'm not wishing for him every day, that's huge credit. Nah, Suarez, man, what a player. And and one of those like really good fundamental like buy cases that Jerry just executed to perfection. Like that's he was such a buy. He he was terrible for a year and a half, and then at the very end of last year, just got absurdly hot. And the Reds just still didn't want to keep him. And that's just it's just such a perfect uh, buy by Jerry. Uh, the I mean, the other one is obviously Cal Raleigh. I mean, he's awesome. Like and his dad's a Vermonter, so we give extra credit to that's that. That's right. That's right. Um, he's, uh, he was 065 in, um, early May when he got sent down briefly before Murphy had to call it quits and just came back with a renewed confidence and figured out his power stroke. And he's had the best catcher season that a Mariners catchers ever had, which is like, and everyone believed in him apparently in the organization and, and was promised he would figure it out. But so many of those guys over the years haven't figured it out and, he just did it. Um, yeah, Jeff and, Clement, Mike Sedino. Although I, I loved yeah. Kenji Jojima back in the day. I loved anyone who could hit, period, like back in the day. So. Yeah, I and mean, Mike Sedino's 2016 or 17, I don't remember which, um, is absolutely legendary. Um, and But no, I mean, Cal Raleigh, the season he's had is just they would not be anywhere near the playoffs without the home runs he's hit. He's been, it's been unbelievable. So yeah, he's, and obviously he delivered the big blow on Friday night. And that was, that was all she wrote. Here's my Mariners hot take. I'm probably gonna have to get safe for episode two, but I'm just going to leave you on this. Sure. They're going to pitch him. They should pitch him because of optics and money paid, but I do not think Robbie Ray should start game two of the playoffs oh gosh does that mean i need to check how this game is going right now <laughs> no i have no idea and i'm not yeah we're taping this as the finale against oakland but no I'm not, and i'm not watching i just robbie ray number one toronto is an all right-handed lineup so i don't you know i don't love that optically and then two he does not throw enough strikes and every like here's exactly how this is going to go if robbie ray pitches against toronto in toronto especially all right-handed lineup, ton of power. He's going to go four innings. He's going to throw 95 pitches to do it. He's going to have six strikeouts. He's going to have four walks, and there's going to be traffic all over the place, and we're going to be sitting there in the thir- in the second inning and the third inning with Lourdes Goriel Jr. and Vlad Jr. up and, and Bo Bichette, and the bases are going to be loaded constantly. And he might tightrope around it, but the bullpen's going to be spent in that game or he's going to implode and give up a seventh spot. I don't know which one it's going to be, but that's the kind of game that Robbie Ray pitches. Like, And maybe you can get away with it by going 3-2 and then getting some some slap on the you know on the A's to swing through a slider at your feet. And the playoffs teams are not going to swing at that. That's why he has not pitched well against Houston all year long. So they're going to pitch him. I didn't him. think about the right-handed lineup thing. I think that's a really good point. Um, I had to have one today. Yeah, I uh, I like... I like Robbie Ray. I think if you saw in his um, in the post game celebration, um, 
that. And that's another reason they're going to pitch him. Team leader, highly paid. Right. And it's it would be bad optically to not. They're going yeah. to they're going to pitch him. I just know that that's the game that I f- worry about more than any of the other pitchers pitching. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a valid concern. I think Robbie is inconsistent. I don't know, like Castillo and Robbie are are about as good as you can get in terms of guys that can still be kind of shaky, but are are top end guys. And I think just that. Yeah, they just they need him to come through. Um, it's gonna be that's gonna be a tough series um, if it is in fact Toronto, and I kind of leaning that way because I don't think the Rays are playing all that well. Um, Although the Rays play the hapless Red Sox at the end of the year, and they're just getting whitewashed. The Red Sox have done after coming through for the Mariners against the Orioles have done nothing against the Blue Jays. So, um, but Patrick, we'll see. I, I I think it's a good point though. Patrick from Mariner Muse, look, I this is my first episode in the Mariners Twitter sphere uh, officially, but I've been in the Twitter sphere for a while, right? USS Mariner, Soto Mojo, Lookout Landing, I've followed them all over the years. Prospect Insider and Mariner Muse is now one of my favorite accounts, so I love that account, and the uh, the crew does a great job. So, Patrick, look forward to interacting with you guys in the future. Enjoy the playoffs, and uh, we'll hook up again this offseason. Thanks, Brady. Appreciate it. How convenient, right after I finished taping with Patrick, Robbie Ray gave up three home runs, and the Mariners ended up getting beat by the A's 10-3 on Sunday afternoon. I really do mean it. I I worry about Robbie Ray's ability in the playoffs. I do. I There's a fascinating battle here between optics and obligation. On one hand, the Mariners owe Robbie Ray, right? They're paying him $115 million to be their ace. It would send a really awful message if they decided to not start him in the playoffs. And then you'd worry about what trickle-down effect that would have next year. And what could he do to the clubhouse, right? Like, what would that do to the clubhouse? You worry about that. What message does it send to other teams or to other guys in that clubhouse? Like, hey, wow, they invested in him, and now they're not going to give him the ball when it counts? I don't know how I feel about that. But you also have an obligation to the other 25 men on your roster and the other people in your organization to do the best you can to try to win a World Series. And the best you can do to win the World Series just might not be pitching Robbie Ray against the Toronto Blue Jays. That's a conversation for Episode 2. I'm Brady Farkas. This is the Believe in Mariners podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network.